Welcome to the Vintage Burn Podcast. I'm Kev. And Doug. We have a special guest with us tonight. We are talking with David E. Gelke, one of the founders of the heavy metal band Crown the Lost. But not only that, after doing some research, David is also a pretty well-known heavy metal journalist. So we're a little intimidated. David, thank you for joining us on the podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Hey, you know what? So obviously it's Thanksgiving Eve. Are you you doing anything good tonight or is this the party for you right here? This would be the party for me. When you reach a certain age, you uh, (laughs) tend to uh, be more inclined to stay in. I overheard overheard you guys talking about the weather. I'm in Pittsburgh and it is very windy tonight with a chance of rain. We don't have any... We don't have any torrential downpours at the moment, but it's very windy yeah. here. So hopefully the power lines uh, agree with us too tonight. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. That would be awful for tomorrow. Yeah. That so would... you, you you didn't lie to the missus and tell her that, um, hey, I got this big thing with these two executives. I can't miss. I can't prep anything. You know. No, yeah. No. No. She knows what I'm doing. So. Uh... All right. That's good. You're on the up and up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, so listen, yeah, we're, we definitely want to get into, um, obviously your current job. It looks like you, you've been in, um, the, uh, journalist industry or journalism industry since 2001. So we definitely want to get to that after on the loss, if you don't mind, if we have time, uh, that would be great. So, so, you know, it, you it sounds like you started your career in 01. What, when did you pick up the guitar or, or learn to play the guitar? I think I started when I was a sophomore and junior in high school, so that probably would have been 1998, and you go through the usual woodshedding at home or trying to learn how to play songs and learn how to play other people's songs, and so that lasted for a few years, and I had the mandatory high school bands that didn't really do anything and just got together and practiced and maybe learned some Metallica songs. I actually think the first song I learned was For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is a pretty easy one to learn, so it's always good to get your feet wet with something like that. So good track, that. yep. Yeah, oh yeah. So I did that for a few years, and I did a few. I had a few bands that played a few shows, but nothing really worth mentioning. My stepdad is actually a drummer as well, and he had a band in Erie, PA, and I got to play with them for a little bit too, which was a really good experience because they're older than me, obviously, and... They knew how to run a band, and I learned a lot in terms of how to set up shows and merchandise and set lists and those type of things. So that was probably around 2001 and 2002. And then eventually I met some of the guys who would eventually become Crown the Lost around 2002. And we had a predecessor band, which had a really god-awful name called Sinning is Our Savior, which is grammatically incorrect. I mean, as a journalist, <laughs> I mean, it just bothers me to say that out loud, but... You know, when you are, yeah, when you are 19 or 20, you're looking for the most uh, shock, I don't want to say shock-worthy name, but something that would catch people's eye. And yeah, it definitely did for a variety of reasons. So yeah. we did that. We did that for about two years, and then that band broke up. And shortly thereafter, in 2005, that's when I started Crown the Lost. And most of the guys who were in Sinning as Our Savior just joined me in Crown of Lost. The only difference was, was that Sinning had, was a death metal band, like a technical melodic death metal band that was a bit in the vein of like death 
and nice yeah uh, who else would probably be a good frame of reference uh early early death or later death later death so yeah yeah, that's probably the best like you're thinking like symbolic and uh oh yeah yeah sound of perseverance probably that one they were our biggest influence that band broke up and then we started crown the loss but we got a clean singer we we found a guy we found a teenager who could actually sing which was you know a rare commodity in this day and age because everyone wants to scream and or growl and so that's how Crown of the Lost started. So that puts us at about 2005. So yeah, so yeah, I've been I, up until then. I had been playing for about seven years until when Crown of the Lost formed. And yeah, it's been 21 years since I've been playing now. So wow, yeah, yeah time flies. Yeah, it's amazing to say that sometimes too. That I've been playing for over 20 years now. It really, really makes you feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously for uh, you know this is going to be recorded, and we're going to be sending this out on the on all of our social medias and then uh, to the our, our Apple um, podcast site and our Google Play podcast site. So I think for people um, who will be listening, obviously Crown the Lost now has been disbanded for how many years? Since 2011, so that would be eight years. Okay, so man, years. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Since, the, since basically around, what, a year, year or during the release of Cold Pestilent Hope? Yeah, yeah, that came out in the summer of that year. And then we broke up in December of that year. And it was really easy to figure out why, because our singer at the time, Leon, he had a different band going that was sort of in the modern metal, deathcore, metalcore vein. And mm. he wanted to devote himself to that and see if he could actually tour and make a career out of it. And that's he quit. And in Pittsburgh, it's very difficult to find guys who can actually sing. We'd already gone through, he was our second singer, he was really great in a band. He was a really good friend. It just didn't make sense to carry on trying to find a third singer. I mean, we had talked about maybe even doing death metal vocals, but it just didn't fit with the spirit of the band. And it had just run its course, basically. We had been together for six years, and all of us were in our late teens, early 20s when it formed. So because you don't have a lot of responsibility at that age, you tend to spend a lot of your time practicing and playing shows. And we, we did tons of that. I mean, we would practice three or four times a week. We do multiple shows a month. We made three albums. So we had done a lot in that short time frame, and it just seemed like the band had reached its natural end at that point. So, so yeah, about eight years ago at this time, I think we played our last show together as a band, and that, that was it. And, um, yeah, we still sometimes talk about getting together and playing some shows, but some of the Oh, guys, don't you dare. Don't do that to us. Yeah. <laughs> don't you dare. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, me and like, me, we're fangirls, by the way, man. Oh, Doug nice. and I, we 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 absolutely love the band. Um, you know, like for us as fans, and we both remember we were going down this uh, rabbit hole on iTunes, and just like we were both at that phase of like getting deeper into the more technical, progressive side of death, and um, we we started listening to a lot more of Chuck's last project, Control yeah. Denied. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great, and great stuff. And you, you guys came up. I mean, it was an algorithm. It just popped you guys up like, hey, you like this? Check these guys out. We loved the artwork on Reverend Styles Within. We were like, oh, this is pretty sweet. And, and him and I both just like, we were like, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. This this is amazing. And it was, we that, that was it from there. I mean, we were just like, we were sold. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Especially like in like um, that time, there was – such a weird kind of time for music. Uh, 
Like, I remember around the same time, me and Kevin getting into, like, the absence, and we're really into, like Kevin said, the, um, like, control denied and get into, like, the more technical stuff. And, right. you know, thrash um, was kind of, like, I'm, I'm a big thrasher at heart. That's kind of, like, my main my main thing. And thrash at the time was kind of, you know, bef- before, like, the 18th wave was on its way. It was just that <laughs> time. You know, it was metalcore. It was kind of dying down, and it was just, you guys just were right time, right place, and just... It was everything we were looking for. Punched all the, yeah, punched every box in the list. We, oh, I think, cool. you, like you were saying, Doug. There's a lot of uh, a lot of power metal bands that were coming out, like Dragon Force was playing in in Celador. In Celador, yep. Yeah, I remember that. I remember my. You, I'm sure you guys remember MySpace. They had these things that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I can admit to this now. Like in MySpace, you could just add people to your account, so it made it made you look like you had more followers. Conversely, with Facebook, you know, people actually have to do something tangible. Yeah. For it, but MySpace had these bots that you could send out requests to and add people to your fan following, however you want to put it. And Celador and Dragon Force, all those bands we used all the time just because they were in the same style as us, and that's how we yep. added our numbers. I remember, I remember doing that a lot because it was a. Com- it's. I mean, to this day, it's still a competition for bands. Obviously, is how many followers you have on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I mean, back then, MySpace was really the barometer of those things and bands were sometimes gauged upon they weren't necessarily gauged on whether they were good or not but if you had a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand or even a million people on your myspace labels would take notice so it was always a race to get as many followers as you could so it's funny you bring those bands up because at the time they were we were sort of in that same realm as they were and trying to poach their fans for us it was it was a, it was pretty funny hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was an interesting time, especially with the MySpace era, you know, when bands yeah. could kind of... I always joke about how, like, a lot of bands were given this platform to kind of create their own genre, and people would just run with it. Like, we're, you know, progressive black metal punk indie, you know, folk, you know? It's like, yeah, I, this, <laughs> yeah. this I need to hear, like... Right, right. I mean, MySpace was good because it gave people the opportunity to hear music they probably never would have had the chance to hear otherwise... And it's a shame the platform sort of fell by the wayside. I think it's still around, but no one, I mean, do you know anyone who goes on MySpace? I, I certainly don't. But during its heyday, it was, it was absolutely critical for bands. It was a great tool. A lot of bands you still see, like, um, like the last, in the, say, five or ten years, past five or ten years, the only time you ever hear MySpace, like, hey, dude, check out our band. We're still on MySpace, you know, because you're right. It is a great plat- platform. To, but now you have, like, Bandcamp and, you know, Spotify and things like that. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit better. more of a, um, a platform. Yeah. Yeah, those are much better. But for, first time, MySpace is definitely, like, pivotal for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you guys formed in what? You said, like, the early 2000s? Yeah. Or we uh, formed, 2002? We formed, actually, in 2005, and we quickly... See, it's interesting. If you're in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh has a good scene, but it's not, how do I want to put this? Like, not a lot of bands at that time were breaking through outside of Pittsburgh. And so the only way we thought we could get noticed was to actually go in the studio and record. And Hmm. so we did that fairly quickly. And so we made an album, not even a year, which was Reverence Dies Within. We formed in 2005 and we put Reverence out a year after the fact. And most bands don't do that. I mean, we, we were doing shows at the time. Most bands play shows for a few years and hope to scrounge up enough money to record an album. And we 
we did a few shows and then we recorded. And I remember at the time us having to sell a lot of our own personal belongings. I think some of us sold like an Xbox and wow. got like checks from our moms and things like that to pay for our share of the album. And this was at a time when people still bought CDs. So this is 2006, so people were still buying CDs. And when we put it out, we were lucky enough to sell out of its first run. I think it was like 200. They went fairly quickly. And then, you know, you're making 10 bucks a pop on a CD. So there's two grand and then you keep on repressing it. And so we actually, much to our good fortune, no pun intended, we actually built up a good sizable band account, which allowed us band bank account, if you want to call it that, that allowed us to do things over the next few years. So we really timed it just at the right time where people were still buying CDs and interested in having physical product. And we hired a publicist too that helped us get a lot of reviews too. So those, those type of things really helped us around 2006. And we were getting some feelers from some of the bigger labels. Like we were having email conversations with Nuclear Blast and Metal Blade, but they never were, they never progressed to anything serious beyond, oh yeah, send us your next album and we'll see what happens. Uh, so, they, so yeah, they, that and that was, sucks. They could have probably helped really launch you guys. I mean, yeah, obviously they we, have the backing. Yeah, we, uh, we could have, yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting to think of what could have been in that regard because we were sort of one of those in-between bands. We weren't total thrash and we weren't total power metal. We were one of those bands that were a blend and so that may have been a concern of theirs because at the time, you guys had mentioned metal was on its 13th wave of thrash by then. So all these <laughs> retro, retro thrash bands coming out, yeah. kids, who are, kids who are younger than us who just discovered you know, Exodus and Slayer yeah. and Metallica wearing jean jackets and bullet belts, all of a sudden like coming out of the woodwork. And some of us in the band had been into metal for a long time, myself included, were very surprised at seeing this. And we do shows with these bands, and they were they were pretty cool guys. But we would bring up bands that we'd like, and they would give you like a blank stare if you'd reference like a band like Corner from Switzerland. They would or Celtic Frost. You'd bring these bands up to these guys, and they'd have no idea what you're talking about. So sometimes we would question the the authentic authenticity of these bands. <laughs> but um, yeah, that that was a yeah. If you were one of those bands that had all the jean jacket patches and wore the high tops. I'm sure you guys remember that too. Everyone started wearing the high tops again, the bullet belts. I, we still that. see it. We yeah, it's still, it's still around. <laughs> yeah, it's still around. So that, that we weren't like that. I mean, we, we wore black and sleeveless shirts, but none of us wore high tops at least. But um, we weren't a pure thrash band, so that may have hurt us. No, but I think, for, no, I think for us, so I think that's what really appealed to me especially just on on the technicality side like you guys were definitely super tight musicians um i i would just classify you guys as a progressive metal band i mean th you throw in so many different elements in crown the lost that it would really be hard to say oh they're like thrash i mean there's just no way you guys are just yeah you, you i mean for me you blew me away when i the with, with the first record i'm like these these guys are just gonna crush it I, I, honestly, when Doug and I were talking, I'm like, I envisioned you guys opening on a much larger scale for like Iron Maiden. I just, I could see it. Like you guys are going to bring a whole new element to heavy metal in general and without having to be classified and stuck in the thrash genre, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been nice. All of us, especially our first singer, Chris, was a gigantic Iron Maiden and had a lot of Bruce Dickinson influences oh. at the time. Yeah, it's funny to think about those things because that was... 
13 years ago and you're much younger at the time and you, you think you can go on tour and do all these things and it's, yeah we we did do some of that but nothing to the extent that we we would have we would have liked but um, uh, opening for Maiden would have been cool so oddly enough oh go ahead Doug oh no I was gonna ask do you, do you think um, like timing would have made a difference say like um you guys would have bust out on the scene now, or if it were a little bit earlier, or do you think timing might have been an issue, or you think it was yeah, just kind of? I think I think so. Yeah, timing may have been a thing, and like I mentioned before, we were just we were too much of an in between band. And sometimes with metal, it almost helps to be very segmented because then you could appeal to a specified audience. I don't know how we would fare if we came out today because there's still a very much uh, preference for guys who growl in the death metal vocals. And when you have a guy who actually sings and you're playing thrash in it, unless you're Anthrax, you know it's it's almost hard. To tra- <laughs> it's almost hard to translate sometimes because people don't. We ran to it all the time. People just did not know how to how to peg us, and that's a very big thing in metal. Everyone wants to put something into a box, and I can understand that being a journalist myself. I want to do it too, and so with my own band, I I would sense some of that frustration. It's like people won't listen to you based on your merits. They want to put you in some box and figure it out from there. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how we would fare had we come out in twenty fifteen or two thousand and five or well if we came out in nineteen ninety five we would have had no chance at all because metal was metal was in a bad spot then but um absolutely yeah so yeah that's interesting to think. I think twenty twenty would be a great time. Yeah. Well yeah so uh yeah like <laughs> well, I said we, we yeah we talk yeah. We all the guys, the nice thing is all of us are still friends. And That's amazing. So, that doesn't yeah, always so, happen. Yeah, I mean, I got married five years ago, and everyone who was in Crown of Lost was at the wedding. I think all our former members were at the wedding, and uh, our other guitar player Joe is getting married next year, so it's very likely he will be. All of us will be at his wedding. And oh, so anytime, awesome! Yeah, anytime we people come in from out of town or there's something going on, we usually all get together and, and hang out. So yeah, we're all, we're all still friends and yeah, who knows, maybe at some point we may get together and do something again. It's just that figure out, we had, we had a few different drummers. I mean, our first drummer is John Rice, who was with the Job for a Cowboy and did some fill-in shows with Behemoth and is now an Uncle Ass in a Dead Beach. John's also my stepbrother, which helps matters quite a bit. So if we, oh, ever, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if we were ever to do something, then we would probably want to do it with John. And then we had two singers, both of which we're still on very good terms with. So, you know, we'd probably have them both sing at the show. Yeah, we have talked about it, but nothing ever, ever serious with it. But uh, if we had to put something together on a few months' notice, I, I think we'd, we're all still in playing shape. So I think we could all probably put something together and do it. Oh, man, that would be amazing. It's, yeah. it's actually very refreshing to hear that you guys are still, because a lot of times you hear bands going their separate ways for, you know, and there's bad blood and no one talks and these guys hate that guy. You know, it's. It's just refreshing to hear that you're all kind of still friends, yeah, still well, kind yeah. of. Yeah, that's not to say there was never not bad blood in Crown Loss, because there was at times, without a doubt. When you're when you're young, and you're dumb, and you you don't necessarily know what you're doing half the time. Yeah, there's there were definitely some fights and some some unfortunate events that happens, but we're not exclusive in that at all. So. As you get older, you tend to realize those things are really silly and pointless, and you realize what the bigger picture is, and is that you play music with your friends, and you play music with people you enjoy being around, and so that sort of has uh, made all that stuff in the past sort of just drift away. 
yeah, being in a band is difficult. It's like a family anyway. I mean, you're yeah, gonna, oh, it's very you, tough. Yeah. You you fight all the time, and it's everybody has a difference of opinion, and yep. oh yeah, yeah, it can it can yeah, be tough. It's, it's not it's not an easy thing at all. Bands are very they're very dynamic ecosystems. Is probably a good way to mm, put it. Yeah. And the best bands that the bands that typically succeed usually have one or two guys steering the ship, right? So they're the main songwriters and the main decision makers. And then you have three or four guys who are really good band guys, quote-unquote, or good role players. Guys are just there because they love playing their instrument, they love playing the music, and aren't necessarily concerned about the creative or business process. And so those band dynamics are usually the ones that, that last the longest. But when you have bands with, a lot, with guys who, you know, the proverbial five cooks in the kitchen or four cooks in the kitchen, they typically don't last very long. Yeah. Now, would you say, like... Um, you- as far as Crown the Lost goes, were you the uh, Chuck Scholdener of Crown the Lost? I was half of that. The other guitar player, Joe, was the yep. other. So we both, Joe is, Joe is one of the most remarkable guitar players I've ever seen. And hmm. he currently plays in a really great death metal band with hardcore influences called No Reason to Live. And it's interesting, like the hardcore scene, like the beatdown hardcore scene, I'm sure you guys know what that is. Yep. They love this band. They are even more technical than Crown of the Lost ever was, but they still have like the hardcore parts and the real heavy mosh parts. It's it's a really interesting blend. And Joe is just one of the most remarkable guitar players in Pittsburgh, or at least in this region too. He's he's fantastic. But in terms of Crown of the Lost, we both split songwriting duties down the middle. So if we had an album of ten songs, Joe would do five songs and I would do five songs, which doesn't normally happen in bands. Most of the time, guys will present each other's ideas, and then there's back and forth on them, and someone's song gets rejected, and there's hurt feelings and things like that. But yep. Joe and I just decided to take all that out of the equation. So whatever he came up with went on the album, and conversely, whatever I came up with went on the album as well. So we split it. For those three albums, it's completely half and half, with the exception of actually the first album, because I think there's nine songs on it. So I think I have five, and Joe has four on it but the rest of the albums were split completely down the middle who decided on the album artwork because i mean all three records have you know amazing cover art which i mean as a fan it's important i love the whole package right it's kind of like with maiden maiden just had it between the artwork and the music you guys i mean same thing all the way up to your last record with i'm a huge travis smith fan so when i saw cold pestilence hope i was like this is amazing i'm like it's just got everything it does look like something Travis Smith would do, right? Uh, yeah, Travis is, is amazing. If you think of all the great artwork he's done with Opeth and Catatonia and, oh, the, name, the list just goes on and on with how many great things Travis Smith has done. Nevermore. Yeah, we could probably sit here all night and talk about what he's done. Yeah, I was in, responsible <laughs> for all the I was responsible for all the album artwork, at least picking the people to do it. So all oh, three awesome. guys, we had first first gentleman that did it. Well, we had two Finnish artists, actually. The first one was done by a Finnish artist named Yari, and then the second two, the last the, the albums, two and three, were done by another Finnish artist named Yarno, and they both did, I mean, you just give them simple instructions, and the album title and what the themes are, and they did, they did the rest of the work there. Probably the best one that we did was, was Blind Faith Loyalty, the one that came out in 2009. I think that, that's probably my favorite Crown of the Lost cover, and when we saw that, we were just blown away by, by what Yarno did on that. But yeah, I was... I basically drove the, the steered the ship rather in terms of the album artwork, and the rest of the guys sort of just 
went along with it and were chimed in when necessary. You, you know, with that cover, um, I, I, I think Doug and I would both talk when we first, when the second record came out, we were, I mean, we just couldn't wait for that. We just, the anticipation was insane for it. And uh, when we saw the cover, I think it kind of had an injustice for all feel to us, at least just the artwork. Yeah, it sort of has the same color scheme, right? I'm looking at it right now, actually. Yeah, like those, that muted grays in it. As you will, and there's a central female character on it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah it definitely has that, definitely has that feel to it. I agree. And by the way, you guys, uh, speaking of, like, technicality, you guys s- stepped it up. I'm, I'm not sure what drove that. Maybe it was just because you guys had just come off of one studio album and you, you guys were just kind of starting to, like peak you were you were locked in you guys just had your sound down but man between you know the drumming and the timing the Oz signatures and everything it was just awesome yeah blind blind faith loyalty was was a very technical album was very difficult to play and that was driven largely by the fact that we had a new drummer in the band who really at heart was a technical death metal drummer playing in a melodic thrash slash power metal band so that was a unique pairing so at the time we thought we were doing something really unique and or crazy by having this crazy technical music and again having clean vocals to it and at times on blind faith loyalty it worked and other times it did not so the album itself can be a little busy at times we may have gone a little bit too far with our ideas no there, no but, not at all well no way man we yeah. that that record i mean it, it's I, I mean it's hard to pick a favorite but man i just love what you guys did on that record yeah i I would never want anything changed, honestly, as a oh, fan. Well, like you guys crushed it. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, it's there's some good moments on that album. But yeah, we really yeah, coming off of the first album, we were really inspired to go to the next level technically and we definitely got that far, especially especially with Joe's playing. Joe's a much more technical guitar player than I am. So some of his songs are much more technical than mine but um yeah so I, david I, I, are, are any of you schooled musicians no none of us are at all no i mean wow. this is we are wow. the classic lock yourself in your room and practice all day long and yeah we it just comes from a lot of playing in bands and practicing a lot so none of us had formal musical training at all no wow that's incredible uh it, it's hard to um, imagine that Blind Faith Loyalty is 10 years old now, too. Yeah, again, again. It's <laughs> oh, not like my it God. Feel, yeah, it makes me, feel, <laughs> makes me feel... I mean, I remember I remember getting the promo copies of it because we were signed to an Italian label at the time. And, yeah, I remember being 27 when that came out. And, yeah, that's that's amazing. That was 2009. It was 10 years ago. It's, it's incredible you, to think. You guys were on the same label as uh, Pharaoh. Back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Oh, tremendous band. Yeah. I know Matt Johnson, the, the main guy in Pharaoh. One of the main guys, at least. Oh, he's really, awesome. He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Matt, Matt's great. He was, I got to know him just by virtue of being in Crown the Lost, and we've remained in touch over the years. So Matt's, Matt's a really cool guy. And, a, and Pharaoh's a ridiculous band. I mean, Tim Amar, and Matt Johnson, and Chris Black, that whole band is, is insane. I, I love Pharaoh. Yeah. I think they're supposed to put out something at some yeah, point. They'll ha- yeah. They'll, they'll have a new one out in 2020. Right next Ooh. to the, oh yeah, that's, man, that's amazing. That's the word on the street, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully it happens. Awesome, I'd love to hear something new from them. It's yeah, been, definitely. Um, so, uh, what, David, what was your favorite album to make, would you say, if you had to choose? My favorite album to make was actually the third album, Cold Pestilence Hope, so we nice. had 
we had three new members in the band, especially we had a new singer at the time because Leon replaced Chris. And we put that album together in a span of about two months. We practiced almost every day. And we were very diligent about it. We had a blizzard here in Pittsburgh, and I think it was February 2010. And we were so committed to practicing that we didn't even think twice about not practicing due to the blizzard. Like we were going to practice literally right up until this blizzard hit. Then we realized, oh my goodness, the blizzard's coming. We better cancel practice. And so <laughs> we and Joe, we at our we had a rehearsal room right outside of Pittsburgh. And Joe left his car in the rehearsal room parking lot and stayed at someone else's house overnight. And it snowed so much that his car got stuck in the snow and it took like three weeks for it to get out just because we had so much snow in Pittsburgh. And where we rehearse is on this real, Pittsburgh's very hilly. I don't know if you guys have ever been, but Pittsburgh has a lot of hills and where our rehearsal space is is on this very steep incline in Pittsburgh. And so to get up to this after a blizzard was impossible. And so Joe's car was stuck in this parking lot for at least two or three weeks. So I I definitely remember that. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, so we would, I mean, he just stayed at space. He lived at the, our practice space for a few weeks, so I can't fault him for that. But, uh, yeah, that's dedication. That was, yeah, this dedication, but we practiced a lot. We had three new guys in the band who were all really good dudes, and we worked really hard on it. It was probably the most fun I had in Crown the Lost and putting that album together. Definitely, definitely one of my favorites. Definitely my favorite of the three, I would say. Like, oh, Breathe yeah. in Emptiness. I don't yeah, know if you get this a lot, but Breathe In Emptiness is not just my favorite Crown the Lost song, but probably, like, out of, like, songs I've listened to, like, ever, it's probably top ten. Like, I remember plowing back when it first came out and just having it on repeat, listening to it for, like, an hour at a time. Like, it was yeah. just, it's just one of those songs. I mean, the whole album's great, like, Solitude and Failure, uh, amazing instrumental. It's just, the album's so well done, and um, that's why I love the direction you guys are kind of going with that one. You could tell you guys are into it, and then just to kind of... Yeah. Never, you know, the end of an era was really a bummer, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't listened to those songs in a really long time, so I, I would have to, <laughs> I'd have to jog my memory. On oh yeah, so but yeah, it was, it was a fun, it was a fun album to put together, and yeah, some of those songs may, may still hold up today. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun doing that one. David, speaking of, so obviously we had Leon jump on in vocals and with other various band changes. If in retrospect, with the vocals who did you prefer vocally? I mean, you had two great singers, but, you know, with that third record, how did that make you feel hearing Leon sing? I don't know. It's tough because when we had Chris in the band, he was so young. He joined Crown the Lost when he was 16 or 17, and he was always more suited to be in, like, a blues band or, like, an Aerosmith type of band, actually, than Hmm. singing our style of music. So I don't know if he was ever totally comfortable, to be honest with you, with our music. But he had such a powerful voice and such great natural range that he fits so well. But, again, Chris was really young when we had him in, and we had a lot of problems with him and us, too. I mean, we're all, we're all at fault here. I mean, he was, he was tough to mold at the time, and we were tough to get along with, too, just, just being in our 20s and things like that. So sure. there were a lot of mistakes made along the way with Chris, which is why we, we stopped working with him after Blind Faith Loyalty. So I don't know. I, I, I don't have a preference over the two. I'm, I'm still very good friends with both of them. Chris, if Chris was in another type of band, maybe like a more traditional power metal band or like, a, like I mentioned, like a blues rock band, I mean, he would totally excel. He has a tremendous natural voice. He probably has a better voice naturally than Leon. 
actually, but Leon is just one of those natural musicians who could pick up any instrument or sing anything, and it's never a problem for him, which is why we got him into the band, and he was already a longtime friend, so it just made sense to do it, and he just brought a different angle to the band altogether, so... I don't know. Yeah, it was it was it's tough to say. Uh, both both were great, so I'm I'm sort of split down the middle. But sure, probably Chris. Probably Chris would be my choice because he he was the first singer, and I still identify a lot of those songs with him. And he could have easily done the third album too, but it just didn't work out. Oh, absolutely. Doug and I were talking about that you know, earlier tonight. We were saying like, for us musically, the album is just amazing. And and if you had Chris do the vocals. I don't think that would change our opinion of the album at all, which is which is great. And you can't say that about a lot of albums. Sometimes you could be like, I don't know, man, the vocals really could have affected the turnout of the album. Um, but I think Leon did such a good job at bringing a little more of a raspiness in some of his his falsettos, and and like, but he still knew how to. Um, there are definitely some parts where I'm like, wait, is that Chris Rinaldi or is that Leon singing? Like, yeah. he still brought some of what Chris could do. So that it wasn't a, you know, a complete difference, um, you know, in singers. So, I mean, either way for us, if you guys ever get back together and do something, I don't care who it is. If it's either or, I'm, we're, you know, I'd be stoked. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear you. They both, they both did a really nice job, and yeah, interchangeable. I mean, Leon sang Chris's songs great, and conversely, Chris could easily sing Leon's song. So it's nice to have. I mean, changing singers is always probably the worst thing a band can do, right? I mean, it's always the biggest risk. Yep. a band could do and so we, we lucked out that the, the transition at the time was pretty seamless another band coming back from that right now um i'm sure you know is into eternity they've had yeah. several oh, singers love but them. Yes. man amanda is crushing it and yeah, uh, great funny enough i've been um emailing with uh troy the bass player and I'm, I'm hoping to get them on uh pretty soon as well so because they're just they're another band like you guys it's just another one of my favorite bands and um They've gone through the same thing. So, yeah, Into Eternity was one of the bands we modeled ourselves after all the way. I mean, they did probably more death metal vocals than we did and had probably a bit more shred in their sound, if you want to call it that, because those guys are, are insane players. But I thought, and we talk about bands who should have blown up. I always thought Into Eternity should have blown up and been huge. They, they had all, they ticked off all the boxes. They wrote great songs. They were great players. They had great vocals. Like when Stu Block joined the band. I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's an insane singer, so I always thought yep. Eternity should have been huge. But again, there's that thing. It's very hard when you have clean vocals to get to that next level sometimes. And they were one of those yep. bands, too. Where do, you, where do you put Into Eternity? They're not a death metal band. They're not a thrash band. They're not a power metal band. They're definitely a technical band. But again, where do you put them? So that was probably the, they sort of had the same problems we did, but they definitely had far more success than Crown of the Lost ever did. I'm not sure I would have made it through a show if I was able to see both of you guys play together. I think I would have just Yeah, we it. actually did. No, that's funny you say that. We oh, actually, come on. <laughs> yeah, in 2006, when after they put out, uh, what was the one that came out in 2006? The, the, the album title escapes me at the, at the time. Uh, Buried in Oblivion? Uh, either Buried in, in Oblivion or um, Scattering of Ashes. There we go, Scattering of Ashes. So when they put that out... I was working for the Inside Out Music record company at the time who had like Symphony X and Evergrey. So I got to know some booking agents and he told me that Into Eternity's on tour, could your band help them out? So I said, of course, I'll do it. And so 
we brought into eternity. They were on a tour, so it was an off date for them. So we brought them into Pittsburgh, and we opened for them. So, yeah, they were super nice guys, really easy to hang out with. They, they drew really well, too. And so getting to play with them was an absolute honor. Some of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, go ahead, Doug. No, uh, do, do you have any more thoughts? I was going to... I'm just curious, what were you guys listening to um, back kind of in the writing process, back in, you know, the heyday of the band? Like, were there any main influences, or oh. did it, it was kind of eclectic? I know I know this yeah, is always a loaded always, question, because you can, <laughs> yeah, you know, there could be a million bands. I mean, I mean, we had quite a, a wide array of influences, and we just mentioned Into Eternity, but the band Mercenary from Denmark, I always thought was was a big influence on us. Again, another band with clean vocals that did death metal vocals too mm-hmm. that got caught in the margins. So they were a very big influence on us. But then you think about, you know, the usual ones like Maiden and Priest and Slayer. They were always there and present. And Megadeth too. I think Joe and I were bigger Megadeth fans than we were Metallica fans. Actually, we used to, <laughs> yeah, we used to, we used to cover yeah. Hangar 18 at shows a lot. So that David, was, I love it. We always give uh, the other our other podcaster. He's working tonight. He can't be on, but he's probably listening. He's probably eating this up because him and I always give Doug shit. We're always like, Megadeth's better than Metallica. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, I I would take. I mean, I love Metallica. Now they were my first, the first metal band I ever truly loved. But Megadeth, I was always a bigger Megadeth fan for for a variety of reasons. I thought, I mean, the guitar playing is better. Obviously, Dave Mustaine's yeah. probably the best riff writer that metal has ever seen, but. They always, they're, I mean, for, from a metalhead's perspective, Megadeth is probably the band, but from a broader commercial perspective, I mean, Metallica takes it every time, but people who are really into metal usually prefer Megadeth just because they have more complex songs and better riffs and the arrangements and the solos. I mean, Dave's voice can be taken or leave it sometimes, but um, yeah, Doug, it's... Uh, Doug, that, Doug, this that is confirmed... <laughs> this is confirmed by a heavy metal journalist, so unfortunately, um, you know, Megadeth's better. No, it's true. <laughs> For the longest yeah. time, I didn't want to admit it, but I mean, looking back, like, <laughs> no, the, those the jazz influences in those earlier albums, my word, it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, just yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, what they were doing on Peace Cells and Killing Is My Business was was insane. Yeah, with uh, Chris Poland and those guys. Yeah, remar- remarkable. I mean, the production on Killing of My Business is a little bit subpar, but Peace Cells more than made up for it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> David, so I know we, we touched on it a little bit about, you know, you're still in touch with the band and everything, but I, obviously if, if fans um, listen to this interview, they're going to want to know, do you have you made any plans for a reunion or anything, or have you even been writing material that you're saving aside and saying, hey, this is Crown the Lost material, I'm going to hold on to this for you know, another day or another year? No, I mean, we will, I would imagine at some point we'll probably get to back together and play a show a few years down the line. It just, it just depends on what everyone else has going on. Like, Joe is very active at his own band, and Leon has things going on, and Chris does too, and John tours. I mean, John's on tour with King Diamond right now, opening for him and Uncle Abby. Oh, shit. That'd be so. I so just went to Diamond, Yep. Yeah, so yeah, the drummer for Uncle Aston Deadbeats, that is John John Rice. I'm very proud to say that I am in relation to him. So it's it's a very very thing I'm very proud of. But uh yeah, a lot of stars have to line and John lives in Richmond, but the rest of us are still in Pittsburgh. So yeah, I, I it may happen some at some point down the road we may get together and do it for fun. But in terms of material, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still play at home. I mean, I strictly just record stuff on my own and, and play around with it. So I don't do anything serious these days. And Joe could probably write a song in a day and it would turn out awesome. So if we were ever to do something for Crown of Lost again, it would come together fairly quickly. But yeah, I'm not sure. Joe seems very happy right now with his new band and some of the other guys are doing other things. So yeah, never, never say never. It, it could very well happen. But um, once it does, we'll, we'll definitely let you know. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, Jim Dofka on in yeah, uh, early, early twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. And he Jim. he <laughs> he had said about you guys. Um, uh, he just said, "I quote, you know, Crown the Loss is probably my favorite Pittsburgh metal band. Great band, uh, delivered the goods live." Yeah, Jim. Jim was a very good. Jim, we did a lot of shows with Dofka, and I still consider Jim to be a friend, as do all of us. And Jim, we we played so many shows with Dofka, and Jim always treated us great. I mean, he is in this area, like the Pennsylvania, like the Pittsburgh, West Virginia, Ohio tri-state area. Jim's a bit of a legend. I mean, he's probably the most renowned metal shredder. I don't even want to call him a shredder because that's sometimes a derogatory term, but guitar hero in this era. And just beyond that, Jim is just one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet around. And that sometimes that doesn't always happen with people that you meet that are great musicians sometimes they could be you know not as cool but jim jim is a true gentleman was always supportive of us we loved playing with them and yeah you guys are really gonna enjoy talking to him he's he's fantastic awesome i'm looking i'm really looking forward to that one too me and kevin been listening to him for a long time as well and all his yeah he's great all his efforts um so david since we are a metal and horror podcast i just gotta ask are are you a fan of horror at all you know what? Actually, not not as much as I should be. I'm not a big horror guy, believe it or not. Uh, I, maybe real life is ba- is bad enough. If you want to, that. that's, probably, that's probably me. That's probably me. That's me being very melodramatic. I have I seriously have nothing to complain about. But no, typically I don't watch a great deal of TV and or movies because I'm typically doing something else. But um, yeah, I'm actually not a huge horror guy. I mean, Joe was always into horror. He still is. And some of the other guys were, but I never got into horror that much. I mean, I think the last horror movie I watched was Carrie, the original Carrie, and that was about nice. two years ago. So, I mean, that's that's a good one. That's like a standard bearer. So, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, say, like, you know, metal and horror always go good hand-to-hand, especially when you're younger, and then when you're older. Like, the same thing happened to me for a long time. I kind of fell out of it, and then kind of started revisiting it, but are there any, besides Carrie, are there any, like, maybe classic horrors you're kind of into, or were there any songs inspired by horror? Uh, we didn't have any songs in Crown the Lost that were inspired by horror, at least, because we always, we always sort of, I don't want to say attacked, but we always addressed organized religion and how it oppresses people. That was a very much a recurring theme in everything we did in Crown the Lost, and so that was more on our minds than anything else, but... Um, yeah, Carrie would have been the last one I've seen. I mean, I've seen some of the classics, like the Romero films, of course, because I'm in Pittsburgh, so that's almost like a prerequisite. Right. And you see, you know, Dawn of the Dead and things like that. So I always enjoyed those, too. But, um, yeah, I haven't watched a horror movie since Carrie, so it's been a few years. No shit. Okay. It's just always like, you know, like I said, metal, sometimes, most of the time, metal and horror go hand-to-hand, so it's always interesting yeah. Oh, yeah. to see, you know... You know, there's so many albums, so many concept albums even, uh, and songs written about either horror movies or just, like, uh, kind of topics in general. But I just figured... Doug, how uh, dare you stereotype our guests? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah. How the hell do you think like, you are? 
<laughs> or you have like serial killers like the band Macabre from Chicago. We play with them a few times. I mean, we're, we don't sound anything like them, but yeah, horror and serial killers are always very two good topics for for metal. No, I was thinking too. Doesn't Tom Savini, um, the makeup artist, doesn't he actually live in Pittsburgh? Like yeah, he just lives Pittsburgh. in like a regular house, like in downtown yeah, Pittsburgh. Absolutely, he's a Pittsburgh guy as well. Definitely. Nice. Well, um, look, we'd, we if you have a couple more minutes, we'd love to just get into your your career because yeah. um, you know where I'm like obviously wanted to do some research on you, and I'm like, oh man, this guy's actually going to school us. He he's you know very uh, well versed in heavy metal. <laughs> But you've done a lot. So just tell us about your career, what got you started in germ- journalism, and specifically like heavy metal journalism. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I mean, I, I played guitar a lot, but I spent a lot of my time actually reading, like reading magazines, metal magazines, and reading books about metal and buying CDs. I had a job in high school where I worked at a grocery store. And I made something like 150 bucks a week, and my dad made me deposit the hundred dollars, but I got to keep the 50. And so every week, I, I worked right next to a Best Buy, and so I would go down to Best Buy, and this was you know late 90s, so there's tons of CDs. And so what would yep. I do with my money? I bought CDs all the time, and so I would read these magazines like Metal Maniacs and Terrorizer and Kerrang and Metal Hammer, anything that I can get my hands on. And then I would go and buy CDs and I would spend my evenings and my free time in my room reading and listening to metal. And so from that, I developed an interest in metal journalism and I was always fairly good at writing in high school and college. My, my degree actually is in journalism and mass communication in college. And so I have that background already, but yeah, I started writing for some zines and magazines around 2001 and 2002. And I did that for a few years. Eventually, I was able to become a contributor for Metal Maniac. So I did that for a few years, which was great. And awesome. then, yeah. I was, then I was the editor for a site called Blistering.com, which was one of the very first metal and rock websites. It was launched in 1998 by a gentleman up in Canada named Rob Cotter, who I'm still very good friends with to this day. And I became editor of Blistering in 2007. And so I did that up until it the site's demise in 2013. But yeah, long, I've, I've been writing now for almost 20 years. It's it's a great passion of mine. It's interesting because I'm, inter- I'm on both sides of things. I've been in bands now where people have critiqued my music and I've obviously critiqued a lot of people's music. So sure. if you're in a band, you learn how to take it with a grain of salt or actually pay attention to what people are saying. Some, some writers will actually put thoughts into their reviews while other guys, you can almost tell that they didn't listen to your album at all. They're just writing off based on a preconceived bias or whatever, which is how it goes sometimes. But I love writing. I still do it to this day. Obviously, I put out a book two years ago about the German heavy metal record label Noise Records who had Halloween and Creator and Celtic Frost and Hellhammer and Gamma Ray and Stradivarius, all these bands. So that was my very first book. So that came out two years ago. And this week, actually, my second book is coming out. It's about the UK band Paradise Lost. And so Decibel Magazine just put that out. So Nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something I, that I, I am very passionate about. I, I love metal. I love the history of metal. I love learning about the behind-the-scenes aspect of metal, like how albums are made and what happens on tour, all those sorts of things, because that's really how everything, what makes everything go, like especially yep. the business end of things. So. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I'm very passionate about it. I'm probably more passionate about writing about metal than I am playing it, to be honest with you. Interesting. 
what made you what made you want to write a second book about uh, Paradise Lost? So I, I'm definitely a Paradise Lost fan. Uh, Doug, do, we saw them last year. Uh, right? Yeah, it was yep. a pretty intimate venue in Boston. Pretty small club, actually. Yeah. Unfortunately, I thought it was going to be like a massive turnout, but it was a much smaller place. Yeah, um, they they never they never devoted enough time. This is in the book. They never devoted the necessary amount of time to the states that they maybe should have, and the reason for that was because they did so well in Europe. And this is actually a thing a lot of European bands run into. If you're doing so well in Europe, why come over to the States where you're going to lose money and not play in front of as many people? It's a yeah. huge investment to play over here. It takes several years of hard work and touring drudgery to get anywhere in the United States. So most bands like Paradise Lost prefer to stay in Europe and continue to have success over there. So they're, they're very much a byproduct of that. But... By my three favorite bands are Catatonia, Paradise Lost, and Halloween. And so nice. Paradise Lost had just hit their 30th anniversary as a band in 2017. They put out their last album, Medusa, which got all these great reviews. And it just seemed like the great time to do it. They have a great history. They've, they are sort of the poster boys for the, quote, unquote, the directional change in metal, where bands yeah. go from being a metal band, then they start experimenting. And Paradise Lost were actually they took the brunt of that in the late 90s when they went from being this great stalwart metal band to sort of sounding like Depeche Mode. And so they took a lot of flack for that. And so it was very easy to build a book around that. And it sort of chronicles that portion of their career. Obviously, their early days and them coming up through the UK metal underground, which was a very exciting time in the early 90s, up through the mid-90s. And then... It, it really has a nice arc to it because throughout the 2000s, even now, they've, they've come back to their roots and their origins, and it's, it's a really nice story yep. to, to see the way they've done all that. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a natural idea to, to do a book on Paradise Lost. I also get a hint of Typo Negative from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were good friends with Typo Negative. There's actually a video on YouTube of Paradise Lost guitar player Greg interviewing Pete Steele and Josh Silver, which is very hilarious because, of course, Peter Steele was one of the most hilarious, hilarious <laughs> and sarcastic yeah. people ever. And uh, the guys in Paradise Lost are very much the same way, just with a UK flair. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very funny interview to watch. What do you think of him, uh, Nick, singing for Bloodbath? I, I, it's just it's, it's a lot different from what I'm used to as a Bloodbath yeah, fan. Yeah, I mean, uh, Michael Ockerfeld was great, and he has a great death metal roar, but obviously he did not want to do, he does not want to do death metal anymore. And Nick, yep. over time, had gotten more and more into growling as the years progressed in Paradise Lost. And so they asked him out of the blue because two of the guys in Bloodbath are in Catatonia, and they are just huge Paradise Lost fans going back to the Gothic album in 91 where Nick was still growling. And so that's where that idea started from. And Nick's, Nick obviously doesn't sound like he did back in 1991 or 1990, but he, he certainly fits Bloodbath really well on these last two albums. He does a really nice job. And he's having a great time with it, too. I mean, that's reflected in the book, too, about how much fun he's having in Bloodbath. He says he never expected that he'd be enjoying it as much as he has been the last four or five years. It's like a group of friends, right? Basically, it's just, uh, yeah. you know, that's, they're, they're kind of really like that well. power group together. Yeah, they're just a group of friends that, I mean, there are four Swedes, and now Nick Nick is the lone Brit in the band, too, but they all, <laughs> they all get along great. They've known each other for a while, and you think about it, they have their priority bands, Paradise Lost for Nick, and Jonas and Anders have Catatonia, and, right. so, and then there's Martin Axenroth, the drummer, who's in Opeth, 
too. Yep. So these guys already have their priority bands, but Bloodbath is something fun they could do on the side. So it's like a win-win for everyone involved. Yeah, I've been fortunate uh, enough to see. I mean, I pretty much every time Opeth come around, I already have my tickets for my birthday in February. Oh, nice. But um, I, I've been able to do all, every time they've come around to Boston, it's been backstage passes. I've met Michael and the entire band like four times. Oh, great. Um, yeah, and and so and I and I've been fortunate enough to see Catatonia because they've you know taken them along for the ride at least once yep. or twice I think in the last time I've seen Opeth. So in a great band live too, Catatonia are, are just they're phenomenal. Yeah, love them. Yeah, they are very near and dear to my heart. Paradise Lost and Catatonia. Yeah, th- those two are my two of my favorites. Absolutely. Great to hear. Well, um, we don't want to take up any more of your time. We're just amazing chatting with you. Um, I would love to keep in touch or let us know if anything ends up, you know, happening with crown the loss again, please, by all means, we'd love to have you on again. Or when you release your second book, if you want to talk more about that, uh, we'd love to have you on David. Yeah, absolutely. No, this was, this was great. Great to reminisce about the old days. I haven't talked about these things in a long time. So I, I appreciate you guys, uh, uh, chatting with me about it. It was a lot of fun, actually. It was a great trip down memory lane. Yeah, honestly. I mean, just think, there are a lot of fans out there that probably don't speak up enough. I was telling Doug earlier, I'm like, I wonder if he's going to know, like, once or twice a month, I usually go on to the Crown the Lost site and just say, like, make make Crown the Lost great again, or yeah. what WTF, what's going on with the band? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah, he is that guy, which is all right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you need that guy just to let you know, you know, people still care. Yeah, cool. no, absolutely. Um, well, thanks again, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your yeah, family. Yeah, you too, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Great. Have a great night. All right, you yeah, too. Th- Take it easy. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. All right, anytime, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, folks, uh, for those of you listening that was David E. Gelke, formerly of Crown the Lost. He was uh, one of the founders, if not the founder, uh, rhythm guitar player, one of the main songwriters in the band, um, and, and a, a well-known heavy metal journalist. Uh, great being able to chat with him, and just a super down-to-earth guy. Right, Doug? Yeah, um, super nice guy. I'm so glad. Uh, he. It seems like he enjoyed the talk as much as we did, like he said, just kind of reminiscing and... You know, uh, I'm actually super stoked to check out. I didn't even know he wrote a book about the uh, story of Noise Records. I'm actually really excited to to get my hands yeah. on that. You know, yeah, because there's always... a lot of great bands that you you listen to from from that um, that record label. Yeah, no, Noise was basically like the European uh, like answer to Combat. You know, so they had all those. Like I remember, I, I have a few records that I bought back in the day um, when I was in Europe. Um, and they have like the old Noise like. Um, inserts with all like the old creator and halloween and tankard and uh yep. celtic frost and all these awesome shirts that you just wish you could go back 25 years and order you know <laughs> shit you never even seen yep absolutely so looks like we're gonna be doing another podcast on friday which is gonna be <laughs> featuring heavy crown radio guest appearance which is pretty awesome <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward yeah, to that nice d nice coming on the cast yeah, that's going to be an interesting one, but it'll be fun. As long We're going to be uh, doing Krampus, so this will probably, yeah, we'll be dropping this uh, just in time for people to know that for December, we're going to be reviewing the horror movie Krampus, uh, horror comedy, I don't know, it's a horror movie, but it's definitely got comedy aspects, so we'll be kicking off with that, Marco will be back, he won't be doing his Uba, and um, Uba. 
Yeah, I think I think that's about it, man. That's all we got. Great interview with David. Uh, I'm assuming we'll have him on again. We have uh, Jim Dofka coming on in early 2020. We're working on getting an interview with Into Eternity. So, yeah, this is just great. Some really great, unfortunately, underground musicians. Uh, but these guys are just amazing, amazing talented musicians and the bands that they were in were just phenomenal and uh you, you need to check them out check out crown the lost i'm not even going to say they're this that or the other thing they're a progressive metal band they have lots of other elements mixed in great clean singing vocals you need to check out all three albums that che- they have check them out on Bandcamp. they have all three spotify only yeah. has one and youtube um only have certain songs i don't know why but uh, Bandcamp has all three albums, and I think you were telling me, Kev, that he, uh, David, wrote a, a bunch of like detailed articles and stuff. About he did, yeah. Ba- basically, everything that we discussed tonight. I mean, uh, he he definitely put thought into the writing uh, on Bandcamp. So I'll make sure to drop the Bandcamp link. I'll make sure to drop the uh, the Facebook account in there. You'll be able to access the Crown the Loss store. You can pick up a couple of your t-shirts. I actually just purchased uh, two of the shirts. I already have the third shirt that they had, um, but those are all $7 each currently online. So they have some great shirts available for prices for the holidays. Um, so yeah, we'll be dropping all of that information in uh, the info when we upload this to Apple and Google. All right, so another podcast done. I'm Kev. And Doug, signing off. See ya. Thank you.